Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. We have such a fun show for you today, but before we start, you know I love, love, love to celebrate my clients, and today we are celebrating big time. Uh, One of my clients, Jay, he just got offered a brand new role making $15,000 more a year than in his previous role. And with tools that we were able to put into place and a plan, he was able to negotiate a higher salary than the company originally offered him. So congratulations, Jay. I know this is life-changing for you and for your family. And we did all this in just about two months of working together. And if you want results like this, if you want to transition into a new career in L&D and you need someone to guide you through it from a lens of being a director of training, I'm your girl. I've got you. Schedule a free consultation call with me. Go to theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching. There's a link at the bottom for that free consultation call. You know, I just picked up three new clients this month and I only have room for a handful more. Uh, So if you're ready for this, let me help you. Let me get you to that next step in your career. I'm, I'm ready for you. You're ready for this. Let's do it. So on to today's episode, I'm so pumped on so many levels to welcome the collaborator himself, John Moore, to today's show. John is a sales enablement practitioner and leader, and he helps other enablement practitioners and leaders succeed in what they're doing. Through his work as the Vice President of Revenue Enablement at Big Tin Can, John and his team help prospects and customers meet and overcome their business challenges, and as host of the hit global coffee collaboration and sales enablement podcast, John shares sales enablement stories, best practices, and tips in a way that's easy to understand and replicate. Welcome. The collaborator himself is joining us today. John, welcome to the Overnight Trainer podcast. I am so pumped you're here. Oh, I'm so jazzed up too. I can't wait, Sarah, for this conversation. I was on, I was I was stoked when you came onto my podcast and shared your insights and tips, and I'm excited to to return the favor. For sure, yeah. I mean, for me, and so everyone can know where my podcast came from. I had so much fun being on your show that I got off and I said, I want to do this more. I I want to be John. I want to be the collaborator. Like, how do I do this? I'm going to start a podcast. So immediately as I did that, I emailed you and said, you inspired me. And I obviously have to have you on. So I am, I'm thrilled to have you here. So everyone who's listening right now can thank John for this podcast. Because or, blame me. Would, or blame me. Or blame me. But I, I'm really excited to have you too, because I haven't had anyone on yet to talk about sales enablement because you you are the guru and you're the one who I wanted to talk to about it. But 
the world of sales enablement and learning and development run so close to each other. They run so parallel in so many ways. In a lot of ways, they also intersect. And yes. I've had quite a few clients come to me and they want to get into learning and development. And what we end up, as we go through a deep dive together, what ends up happening is that we find out that they actually have a passion for sales and sales enablement, but they don't even know that sales enablement exists. So, you know, people coming to get into this industry for the first time, those that term sales enablement is something that a lot of them haven't even heard of before. So my hope for today is for you to really give us an insider's view into the world of sales enablement and what it looks like and you know how to get into it. And I have a bunch of questions for you as you can probably expect, but, but first, before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, how you ended up where you are now, because you have a very interesting story to tell too. So I'd love for you to tell us who you are and how did you become the collaborator? I don't know if it's that interesting, Sarah, but I'll, I'll, but I'll share it, but I'll share it. So in the beginning, how far back should I go? 2000 uh, BC? The day you were born. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the so, day I was yeah, born. So that time. <laughs> yeah, let me go back to my great, 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 great grandfather. A <laughs> uh, generous, generous man. Um, no, you know what? I started off my career as many, as many enablement professionals do in something completely unrelated to enablement or training or any of that kind of stuff. I graduated from Boston University as an electrical engineer. I, I am a geek still to my core. Um, and I spent the first 15 years of my career roughly on, on the engineering side, software engineering. I, I grew up, became a CTO. And I did, did a lot of my career at companies like Lotus Development, Lotus 123, Lotus Notes back in the day. And then I got up into, into the startup world in SaaS back in 2000. And I, and I took the opportunity to continue for a while, but then also start to switch to the business side. And I've spent the second half of my career on the business side, really trying to figure out how I messed up the first half of my career so badly. You know, that's what I came down to. But um, one of the early products that I worked on was Lotus Notes, like I mentioned. And Lotus Notes was both glorious and horrible at the same time, but it was really about collaboration and communication in the enterprise. It was how can we bring together the collective knowledge of, of everybody inside and outside the business, both to help each other individually, but to help grow and improve the business. And from that point forward, I was really fascinated by how we can do that better and better and better. And I'll tell you, I landed in the last three or so years after having my own business with a partner at a company called Big Ten Can. Big Ten Can is a sales enablement company. We build software there. And I landed over there and I recognized, and then this isn't because of my genius, it's because of the genius of our whole community that too many teams and too many individuals just weren't being successful at this thing called enablement. And, and I said to myself, I said, John, it was a late night conversation. I was having a nice <laughs> cup of coffee or something. I said to myself, we need to do something about this. And, and really what I decided that I wanted to do was to gather together the global enablement community so that we could learn from one another. Because I know, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording. I have two cents to share. You have two cents to share based on your experience. We all have two cents to throw into this hat. And at the end of the day, we can build something really cool with all of our collective two cents of insight. So to me, the collaborator was born from my desire to say, 
collaboration is key, both for the success of enablement, but also for the success of the learning and, and bringing together of the profession, raising it up in the way that I wanted to. So from my single podcast that I started creating, um, I've now reached out to the point where I have hosts across six, six continents representing each continent on the globe except Antarctica. So if you know a penguin who's into enablement that wants to start <laughs> talking, I love penguins. I would so be happy to talk to a penguin <laughs> like, like that one in Happy Feet that danced yep. around. That would be so awesome. Um, anyway, anyway and people don't want to hear about me and, and that. But you know, to me, collaboration and the collaborator was really born from the concept of bringing people together. And, and for each of the hosts that I've, that I've had the honor of joining me in representing their regions and growing it, the, the lessons in our mission are clearly stated as every time we talk to somebody, get a story, an insight, a tip that goes back and helps the community get better and stronger. And in those conversations, they're not about us. They're not about me. They're not about our host. They're about that person that's coming on and sharing their two cents, their $5 of insight. They're the rock stars. And by raising each other up, and sharing what each person has to share, we're gonna just be better. And for me, that's so exciting. And collaboration, like I said, is just a key part of that, Sarah. So I don't know, I get dorky about that, it excites me. I love it. And you know, what excites me too about your background is that you came from that engineering background and now you're in sales enablement. And that's something I focus a lot on with my clients or in our, our community is, that just because you have a background in something doesn't mean you can't do something else. And that there's so many transferable skills that you have from these experiences that you've experienced and that you have that you can bring into things like learning and development and sales enablement, right? Yes. So I, I find that, so I always love to hear people's backgrounds. I, I had a guest on a couple episodes ago, Crystal Kadakia, who is a learning and development, organizational development guru, but started off, she was an engineer, right? So, you know, it's, it, I, somehow I'm getting a lot of engineers on the call too, but, you know, it's we just We tend so to be introverts, but we like to talk. And yeah, that's what, that's what I found. <laughs> I've definitely found that as well. A lot, a lot to say, but, uh, you know, I, I love hearing your background of how you've navigated. And I know you joked about, you know, what was I doing that first half of my career, but all those things, you know, led to you to where you are now. So I think that's amazing. Oh, and yes. I just love you bringing everyone together and you truly are the collaborator and you're such an inspiration to so many. And so many people listening to this podcast right now might not even know what sales enablement is. So before we dive any deeper, can you explain to us what is sales enablement and then some differences and similarities between sales enablement and then traditional learning and development or traditional training? So first off, if you don't know what sales enablement is, you're in the same camp as more than 50% of the globe. Let's, let's, let, I mean, that, that's the reality. So I have conversations with people across the globe. Most people do not know what sales enablement is, but they know that they have the, the, the need to help their go-to-market teams sell more efficiently, sell more, um, reduce churn perhaps in their existing customer base, reduce risk. And these are all hallmarks of what enablement can do. But even those people that know what enablement is, and, and you and I were talking about this beforehand, often think it's, oh, it's sales training. I just, enablement, I need sales training. And training is an important part and tactic that's used as part of enablement. But at the end of the day, enablement's as simple as making sure 
that your customers and your prospects have a great experience at every single point along their journey with your business and that those experiences inform them on how they can solve the problems they have. It's not about explaining to them the products you have, but it's explaining to them about, if you can, how you can help them overcome their business challenges. So a lot of times enablement's in inclusive of, like I said, sales training, but it's also content development. It can be um, coaching, you know, sales coaching, making people better. And sales coaching is both about helping you understand how to move a deal forward, but also helping you as a human being. I, I chatted with this great person in, um, she's in Malaysia, Pooja Kumar, she works for Oracle. And they actually piloted a training, a coaching program that was focused not on the business at all. It was focused on, I think it was eight to 10 high performing, high performance, high potential performing people in the organization. And all they did was work with them on what were their personal goals? How can I help you? Some of them ended up being business. Some of them ended up being not business. And at the end of the day, they were more engaged. They were more successful regardless. Mm -hmm. So there's coaching, there's process improvement, there's technology, you know, what technologies should we bring in? Um, how can we improve the processes? Like I said, it's so many pieces that go into making sure that your business is successful by focusing on the customer. And that's how I view it. And I mean, and part of the problem with enablement is if you look up the definition of enablement, there's at least 37,000 different definitions of enablement. Mm -hmm. Most of them written by well-intentioned, but often self-serving businesses trying to say, well, enablement is actually this thing that I solve. And, it, and it's, really, it's really about so much more than that and so much right. less, uh, I guess, as well. But you asked me, how does it tie into training? One of the things that sales training often falls short on, short on Sarah, and, and, and to me, it's surprising that it falls short on it, is sales training often focuses just on, here's some information, let me share it with you. Maybe we go a little bit further and build in retention, but it's not often delivered or built and constructed by people that actually understand human learning models, how people truly learn. It's, and, and in my view, sales training could grow up so fast if it just embraced more of the professional learning and development community and, and brought that wisdom forward. Into the, into the same community, but there's still so much L&D, L&D, who needs learning and development? That's, <laughs> you know, that's that HR training that I don't want to take anyway, but this, we could all learn from each other and we need to. So that's my view, Sarah. That's exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. No, Amen. I, I love that. Amen. Okay, podcast over. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I love how you mentioned too, going back to the coaching side of it too. And something yeah. that always strikes me is such an incredible opportunity to be in sales enablement is to be able to do all of those things. So, you know, in traditional L&D, there's opportunities to do all of those things as well, but typically you find it within different jobs, right? So you, you have mentors and coaches, or you have facilitators or instructional designers who are creating the content. So, you know, typically you find all those pieces that you mentioned of sales enablement tend to be more siloed in learning and development, yes. which I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way, but what made me excited to hear was a, that coaching program sounds amazing. I always say people over profit. And if you focus on people, your profit will skyrocket. You'll get the profit. 
you will absolutely get the profit. So focusing on personal goals is so important because they become more invested in themselves and your company and grow. So that's a side point. But what I loved about your definition is I work with a lot of people who are Jacks and Jills of all trades, right? Who have experience facilitation and designing content and coaching people. And sometimes looking for that traditional L&D role, it's hard to find something that will kind of cover all of those things. And that's what I love about sales enablement is it's not one and done training, which L&D needs to get over also. So it's a topic for another, another day, but you know, but within sales enablement, you really do have the ability to, to really shine with all these different skills that, that you have. So I loved your definition of it. And I thought it was really, really great to showcase all the different facets of sales enablement and what it would look like, you know, being in that type of role and with that type of definition. So what are the titles of jobs or roles that are typically found in a sales enablement department or team? Well, and this changes as you go from a small company to a big company. So small companies often start out with enablement professionals or bring them in when their teams reach. I mean, it can be anywhere from 220 to 400 people. But on average, when you get to 50 sellers, you want an enablement professional. Now at that size or slightly before, that enablement professional is the sales enablement manager and they are the Jack or Jill of all things and they do it all. And they're running around very tactical, like chickens with their heads cut off, cut off, trying to, you know, basically plug the holes in the boat. And if somebody's willing to spend even just 10% of their time when they're in that position to think strategically, to start laying frameworks and groundwork for the future, they'll actually do themselves a huge favor because as those companies grow, they'll start to add additional roles. So to, to your point, there's no great standards out there yet, but I'll tell you what a lot of people are doing. A lot of people are segmenting their teams in the following ways. They'll often have a learning expert. That person may not have a L&D background. They, just, they may have been a sales trainer in the past. They may have been a former seller who's just always been good about talking about how they used to close deals. So they may or may not have the L&D background. There's often a sales project manager type of role who, because there's so many different things you could work on, not that you should, but there's so many Mm -hmm. things you could work on, having a more formal project management approach, layering that into your team as you get a little bit bigger is important. Some companies, um, and mostly when you start to get to mid-size or enterprise, start to add in more of a sales enablement architect. They're the ones thinking about how all the systems fit together. They're closely working with the operations team. Um, They're thinking about process and tools, all of that kind of stuff. But then the other thing that a lot of teams are doing, and I think it's really helpful is as enablement teams, as enablement professionals, we're we're a support function. We're there to make you successful and you successful and you successful. So a lot of teams are putting dedicated liaison type roles into the teams they support. And this is certainly as you get larger and larger, but putting a liaise into the customer success team, into the different selling teams, into pre-sales and so on and so forth, so that they can really start to identify, represent their needs and working with the project managers and the architects and everybody else, um, prioritize and deliver the right things. The last role 
to me is an interesting one. There's always the debate about if enablement should create content or simply be the curator in that middle ground between the rest of the organization and the, and the go-to-market teams. Interesting. And, you know, a lot of organizations, marketing will create a ton of content. In some organizations, engineering or product will. But a lot of that content is meaningless to the sales team. They don't need a 10-page PDF that explains how to install the product. They need to understand what pain points does this solve? How do you, you know, what discovery questions do they answer? What do you ask? What do you listen for? Um, and those sorts of things that are relevant to the market. So to me, the successful teams are primarily focused on curating and translating the content so that it can be used effectively by those go-to-market teammates and the various personas within those teams. Oh my God, that was a lot there. That and was I, a lot. And I think it's it's great too, because there's so, uh, you know, one of my questions is going to be, you know, what does career growth look like? But you essentially explain like all the different paths that you can go. And that's something that I always have been drawn to about learning and development is that yeah. if you want to be uh, analyst, there's room for that. If you want to do project management, there's room for that. If you want to be creating content, there's room for that. If you want to be strategy, there's room for that. And it sounds that there's that very similar line within sales enablement that there's so many different facets within sales enablement that you could really own a particular part of the sales enablement business, uh, utilizing those those skills that you've you've already have. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's about getting into a company that's the, at the size that fits where what you want to do. So if you want to be a Jack or Jill of all trades, work in a small company, be a team of one and do it all. 100%. If you want to have that segmentation, go into a midsize or a larger company where they have a team already and they're looking to scale it up or already have some level of scale. You know, I've talked to organizations that have one, pe one person and I've talked to organizations that have two to 400 people in enablement. So... Uh, the world's pretty wide open in terms of where you can land. You just have to figure out what you want. I love that. No, I always, I tell my clients too, like you can be a big fish in a big pond. You could be a big fish in a small pond. You could be a small fish in a big pond. Like, you know, it's the, it, it's really up to you, right? There's no right or wrong. It's just finding just out. Just don't be the dead fish going down the toilet. <laughs> don't be the dead fish floating. That's the one to avoid. That's the fish we don't want to be. Exactly. And I love, you know, we talked about earlier too, about your, your background and having a background in engineering. And a big question I get asked probably several times a week is, do I need to go back to school or people get hung up on the fact that they don't have a degree in learning and development or sales enablement mm -hmm. or, you know, that type of education. So I want to hear from you, you know, you are a leading voice in sales enablement and you went to school and have a background in engineering technology, you know, working your way up to those CTO roles. How did having that engineering background, that past life, right? So you said, like, what are I doing all that time? But yeah. that, like I said, set you up where you are now. How did having that background prepare you for being able to lead a sales enablement function? To me, one of the critical things that anybody who's going to be successful, geez, I was, I was going to say an enablement, but I think in, in most roles today, you have to have a passion for lifelong learning. It doesn't mean you have to go back to school, but I'll tell you, when I was an engineer, this was before this thing called the internet really <laughs> took off. And it was hard to find out information and, and find people to talk to, to solve problems. 
And there were many all-nighters spent trying to rediscover what hundreds have already discovered. Um, so I don't think you have to necessarily go back to school, but you have to have a curiosity, read, listen to podcasts, search articles on the internet. There's a genius and expert on everything out there. Mm-hmm. Pick up, be curious and never close your mind. It's the only way to be successful, um, in my opinion. Now, I think for some people, going back to school is probably the best way to, to kickstart that journey. If you're, if you're feeling like, geez, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at digging up information. I'm not good at doing a lot of reading. Then maybe going back to a, a formal program where, where somebody's helping drive you forward on that is useful. But I think if you can find your own self-motivation and read everything from, God, I mean this too, everything from Shakespeare to um, Ryan Holiday talking about how the obstacle is the way and the power of the Stoics and, and um, you know, Jill Conrad on how to close deals or, you know, read it all because everything you learn and listen and study for the most part will give you unique viewpoints that surprisingly helps you be more creative and more successful, in my opinion, in your own job. I constantly have people sending me books to read and I, I use Audible now because I just don't have enough time to sit there and just read. So I listen to books a lot and I spend a lot of time going, wait, what did they just say? And then like <laughs> it pausing. It piqued your back. interest. Yeah, sure. exactly. Because not every word is, is wisdom and not every book is, is sage advice, but I just think you have to have that hunger to keep learning. To me, that's the key to success. But I also think, and you're gonna, if you're gonna let me keep talking, which is a big mm-hmm. mistake, Sarah, you yep. shouldn't let me keep talking. I also, think, I also think the opportunity, the, the mindset, I should say, around collaboration and cooperation is key. If you are going into any role, especially enablement though, it can't ever be about your individual success. You certainly have goals. You certainly have things you need to execute on, strategies you need to put forth. But it's about the success of those people that you're helping every single day. It's about the success of your business. And your success and, and, and all the cool things you do to enable that are important. But celebrate the business wins, the individual seller wins, the, the customer success person that saved that, that customer that was on the fence because they didn't like the way you were working with them. So it has to be about collaborating and helping the entire organization and just cheering on the other person too. I agree. You know, I think to do this job and to do it well, and I, I might have said this on, on your show, but you need to really have a servant's heart. You have to want to serve other people because to your point, it's not about, it's not about us. And that's why too, sometimes I struggle with people who are subject matter experts who come over to the training side and forget that it's not about what, what you know and what you've experienced, right? It's about how do we take that and serve the organization, serve the sales department, serve every, all the employees, right? So, and, and make sure that the customers are being served. That's, that's the, the end goal here too. 
So I think it's really important that you, you mentioned that and, and lifelong learning, I think comes along with that too. You learn more and more. How can I serve others? How can I do better? How can I be better? So I think lifelong learning, it almost goes back to what you're talking about with that coaching program and personal development. So I always find do something to, to grow in this role, do something for your personal development also. Uh, I know someone, someone who I was talking to actually earlier today ended up uh, taking a, an improv class. And for fun, but realize how much that yes. helped her professionally to become a better facilitator and a public speaker. And you know, she's had TV appearances now and things like that. So, you know, doing things that are fun that light you up that still can all of a sudden be like, wow, that actually benefited me in business. You know, so I think it's it's important to be a lifelong learner, but not even just in your that one thing you you think you should be learning. Right. So I love what you said about like read Shakespeare. Like you might get something out of there that's going to help you in your personal or your professional life. So I think that's I think being a lifelong learner is such an important trait. I think it adds to your point in any role. But what else would you say would take to be successful? it takes to be successful in sales enablement. So when you look at some of these people who have been super yeah. successful at it, what traits do they have? Rigor. They, they understand that even when the house is on fire, that you need to have a plan, that you need to have a process that you follow. Even if you're a team of one, where you're mostly tactical and, and there's, it, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the 30,000 requests coming in you need to have some level of rigor that allows you to decide what are you gonna work on? What are you not gonna work on? And to, to what amount you're gonna work on those things. You need to be able to recognize that you're doing these activities to ultimately move a business metric. You're trying to improve win rates or you're trying to get sellers up to speed faster. So you have to have that North Star whether you're formally measuring it or not that guides you. So rigor is really the key. I've seen many people who are, you know, have that servant heart that you talked about, Sarah, who just want to help people fail miserably because they just want to help everybody. And and there's a natural desire to to do so, but they have to have the rigor to prioritize what's most important based upon what they're trying to impact. And then execute like hell on that on that goal and on that mission. So if you don't have that rigor and that process orientation and that structure that you're willing to set up, you're going to fail every single time. The other thing though that's critical for enablement and it's something that you need to be able to look for is you need to get sponsorship and support from as senior a level in, in the organization as possible. If you go into a business and they They've hired enablement, but they don't really know what it is. Maybe to them, it's simply training or it's simply creating some content. Unless that fits with what you're going to do, you're going to fail Mm -hmm. again, or you're going to be miserable every step of the way. So you have to make sure, A, that you can set up your own personal rigor and process while also making sure that the organization understands what you're there to do and is supportive of it. I love that. It reminds me, I might've talked about this on your show too, but one of the models that I've I've used in my own career that I found has been really, really helpful for people who are 
you're really trying to focus on the business as well as the 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 learners inside inside of the organization as well is the learning cluster design model. And I, I think I talked about it on your show, you but did, yeah. The, the first part of the reason why I love it so much is especially from an enablement perspective, the first part of the model is all about how do we align with the business objectives and decide what on the job behaviors we want to see change. Yes. And that's how you get your buy-in from those senior leaders and those stakeholders, because you're actually at the end, then you're able to prove ROI as well, but you're able to really from the get-go say, what does the organization need and want? Because at the end of the day, if we don't own our own the company, we're working for someone else, right? So we are there to help drive the business. That is the goal. And so what does the company need and what are their goals? And then what are the behaviors that we need to change in order to do that? And so I think setting it up and said, that's how you kind of almost create that shield too, because if you do have a servant's heart, most likely you are a yes person. And I was just talking to someone yesterday too about how do you say no, right? It's when you want to say yes, but at the end of the day, you can only do so much and there's yep. only 24 hours of the day and hopefully you're sleeping some of those hours um, and spending time with your family in some of those hours and walking hopefully. your dog, hopefully, <laughs> right? So, you know, I think the re I bring that model up just because it really helps create uh, almost a shield for yourself to be able to say, here's the business goal. Here's the goals of what needs to change with the, with on the job behavior. And that's my, it's my North star, right? That's my guiding light of so what I'm going to focus Sarah. on. And so, so I, I think that, and then with that, you know, then you can really step up your rigor because you know what your, what your end goal is. So I think yeah. that's so important to, to mention because people might, it's so hard to say no sometimes, but once you have a, a goal in mind and you're aligning with the business and you have stakeholders who are supporting you, then it, it makes it so much easier to make those decisions and to have that rigor for sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it was so, it was so smart what you said, that, and I could visualize this shield around you, but you have to understand your North Star, your why. And if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need your help on this, whatever this is, does it first off, does it help fit with your why? Exactly. Is it going to impact that? And if it's not, it's a no, or it's a, you know, I can get to this, but it's after these 37 things that are actually aligned with the priority I'm here to do. Yeah. So I may never get to it. So you have yeah. to be, you have to be honest with yourself and with the team around you about here's what I'm focused on doing. Here's my purpose. I'm here to move this needle. That's it. Very simple. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's so important. And, you know, as people are thinking about a career in sales enablement, because the, the goal of my show too, is people to think beyond just traditional L&D jobs and that there's so many more things that we can do to serve people in a learning capacity. Uh, how would someone listening to this today know if sales enablement would, is a right career choice for them? Oh, that is such a great question, Sarah. I love that one. I think, look, if you're interested in understanding the nuts and bolts about how customers buy. Um, if you like human psychology just a little bit, uh, I think that's important. You do generally, you do absolutely have to have, to be successful in my opinion, a desire to be of service. That's, that's one I know people will disagree with some people will. I think there's some people out there that are successful in spite of it. But if you want to truly help people be successful with their jobs, you care about that, 
then enablement could be a fit for you. If you have interests in helping people by creating content, by educating, by trying to understand, you said it really well about changing behaviors. Can I help this person change their behavior so they're more successful, so that the business is more successful and, and that's my North Star? Then it's probably a good fit for you. But I also think, look, honestly, I think anybody with any set of background or skills can come into this kind of job and be successful regardless of your background, as long as, again, those two points are, are, are maintained. I want to help. I want to help. And I want to be understanding of how customers buy. If you're interested in those two points, your, your passion, your desire will bring you forward. In my opinion, there's plenty of other people that would tell you a long laundry list of skills and, and, and career experiences you should have. I think they're all full of it. You need, I mean, honestly, you need those two things. And if you got those two things, you're going to be able to do it. That's how I always say, I always look when I'm hiring people, I look for heart and hustle because they probably already have the skills from whatever they've done before that are transferable that we can apply to this current job. But you to do this job, heart and hustle is what, what you need to have. And that's the two things I, I look for when I'm, when I'm hiring people. Yeah, unless we're doing brain surgery or building a rocket to the moon. Yes, that's what I always say. I'm like, we're not performing open heart surgery. It's okay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I part of my job is also I'm responsible for our solution marketing organization. I'm responsible for our content creation services uh, for the business. So beyond enablement alone, I do these things. And the one message I, I constantly try to give people is, is that, you know, we're not doing rockets. We're not... You're not doing brain surgery. Nobody's going to die if you get this wrong. So jump into it. You know, here's the sort of the, the constructs, the, the boundaries within which we live. Here's what your goals are. But then don't stress about it. Go get it done. Figure and it out. Wrong, we'll learn from that. I love that. that. That's my view. Yeah. And that, that leads me to really my, my last big question for you is thinking about the people who might be listening to this and saying, wow, this sounds great. Sales enablement. I could see myself there. What advice do you have for anyone listening who wants to get into sales enablement? And what are some action items they could start to do today to really jumpstart that transition? If you're working in a corporate world, small or big, start to talk to your sellers about what, what do they actually do all day long? What are their challenges? And think to yourself, can I, can I, and would I be interested in helping people overcome those challenges? You know, cause you're gonna hear things like, geez, marketing isn't giving me enough leads. Well, every seller is never happy with the amount of leads they get from marketing, but that's, that's a different problem. <laughs> but if you're hearing things like, I just, I don't know how these products work that I'm expected to sell. Nobody's teaching me how to do this. Well, that's something enablement teams can help with. Or, you know, I just can't get any information or content. I've constantly got buyers calling me up and asking me for this one page or, or this or that. If you're interested in, in, in delivering and, and, and building that kind of stuff, awesome. If you with a ton of different people and as well, it's a good fit for you. And, and what you should be doing is not only talking to the sellers about their pain points, but talking to the marketing team. 
talk to, if you have it, a customer success organization, a support organization, pre-sales, start talking to people and understanding what helps them be successful and what, and what makes them fail. And you know what? If you've got the time and you can, see if you can help out. Honestly, as long as your boss isn't going to fire you for following this, right. <laughs> if, if, a, if a seller says to you, geez, I can't ever get enough information about X. If you can help them get enough information about X by just calling somebody up and asking a couple of questions, you're starting to get involved in enablement. If you want to learn more of the ins and outs, I would also say start listening, start reading what people are putting out there about what you know, what enablement looks like. I would say that the, the podcast that I'm, I'm honored to have launched and excited that it's out there is spotlighting. And we did 131 episodes last year. I'm gonna to try to do about 250 this year, but it's not just not me talking. It's about all these practitioners and leaders across the globe talking about what their jobs look like, sharing tips, sharing stories and insights. Listen to what other people are doing, learn from them. If you've got an enablement team, talk to them, sit down with them, ask them if you can do like a work swap program or you know, like a mentorship program where they can teach you. These are all things that unless you work for a company that's so overly restricted that I wouldn't wanna be a part of it, most companies are going to support you in wanting to do those sorts of things. And again, if they don't, they're really not that interested in you as an individual, so find another job. Amen to that. (laughs) It's true though. It really is true. You know, I think, you know, companies that support their teams moving around within the organization, like that's a company you want to work for because I would say pretty much everyone I've interviewed for this show, most people that I've interacted with just in my career, none of us started out where we are now, right? So the the reality, the reality that, that, a company would think, oh, this person is starting here in accounting and they're going to be in accounting for the rest of their life until they retire is such a, such a farce of a notion. Whereas if someone who's in accounting says, wow, you know, sales enablement, has been, what's the sales team doing over there? And, you know, getting to spend at least a couple hours a day or a couple hours a week, even just shadowing and seeing what's going on. And they move over into that role. Like now they have I think what's so great too is when people are able to move around the the company and the company supports that they now have so much more background information on different areas of the company and they can support in a totally new way and a totally unique way than just trying to find sales enablement person after sales enablement person after sales enablement person coming in from the outside. Now you have someone who has such a unique perspective and can bring something so much more to the table. I chatted with this this wonderful woman at uh, Microsoft. She runs one of their enablement organizations. Her background, accounting. She was in their accounting organization for seven years and this enablement opportunity popped up and she wasn't sure if she should go for it or not because she's like, my background. She not only had so many transferable skills that she didn't even think about, but because of her methodical process-oriented approach, and caring and compassion for people mixed in with it. She's been wildly successful there. Of course, that does not surprise me one bit. No, so I've met great enablement people that were teachers that, you know, you know, middle school teachers. We have a lot of teachers who listen to this. A lot of teachers listen to this podcast are looking to transition out of the classroom and into into a more corporate job. So that's great to hear. 
And what a great fit. Some of the smartest people in this space that I've had the pleasure to meet started out as teachers. But really your background today doesn't define you. I mean, we talked about this and, and this isn't about bragging on John, but I've, I've been an engineer, I've run professional services, I've run engineering, like I said, I've been in sales, I've been in marketing, I've run support. I, you know, I've done so many different things and I've done so many things because I do them poorly. So they keep finding a place to shove me in the corner. <laughs> but any bit of background and experience that you get only makes your experience and your insights richer than they are today. 100%. So I, I don't care what background you have. If you want to help, if you have that interest in the business side, give it a shot. And if you don't find it, and if it's not a match again with what you want to do when you talk to the company, remember that you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. And I've heard many smart sales enablement people say this, if it isn't a fit, if you go in there and you understand that you need to educate them on what you see enablement being, and it doesn't align with their vision, you don't want that job. Right. So be brave, be daring, go get it done, people. I love that. What a great way to end it. Be brave, be <laughs> daring. I do love that. Well, John, you are the ultimate collaborator. I'm so excited. I definitely, one of the things, and you had mentioned it too, but I do want you to talk about for a second, your podcast, where people can find it. Because if you're interested in getting into sales enablement, this is the place to go, to learn, to hear perspective. So talk to us a little bit about your podcast and then tell us where people can connect with you and learn more sure. about you. Sure. Um, the podcast is called Coffee Collaboration and Enablement. And it's, um, it's available on all the major platforms, of course, but we also have the website ccsepodcast.com, coffee collaboration sales enablement podcast.com. And it's fun. Come on over, leave, leave a nasty comment and tell me how, how silly I sound. No. I don't care. No, no, but it, it's what I love about it. And, and obviously I want people to come listen and share and collaborate and, and cooperate with one another, but Again, it's not, a, it's not about me. It's about the entire enablement community sharing what they're up to, their challenges, their struggles, their triumphs. And to me, that's a great way to learn. I learn something many times, multiple things every time I talk to somebody and it's wonderful. So if you're interested about enablement, definitely check that out. Um, the Sales Enablement Society, they have their podcast. They do maybe one show every month or two. So it's not that often. But when they do it, there's some good episodes there too. Because how often do you do your show? Well, I was doing four to seven a week. Yes. <laughs> and this year, like I said, I'm looking to almost double the number of episodes, but I'm also doing it in a scalable model by having this seven or eight hosts across the globe right now. And we'll probably add another eight to 10 before the end of the year who are bringing stories from their areas, from their neighborhoods, from their regions. And it'll allow us to go even deeper and reach people that we wouldn't have necessarily been able to reach before. So I hope to add another 200 to 300 shows. There's just know. so much, there's so much goodness there and so many people and so many different perspectives. So I highly recommend anyone looking to even think about sales enablement, even not. I mean, it's, there's such great life advice in them too. <laughs> you know, some of them surprisingly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tune in and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a, this is like a therapy session for me. Thanks. <laughs> some people tell me I should go to therapy. So that's, that's, that's a little too close to home, Sarah, oh, but okay. <laughs> I love it. John, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? 
You know, um, if, if they want to connect, just reach out on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. Um, I make it as hard as possible to find me. Just type in the collaborator and I'll show up. Um, awesome. Usually as soon as you start typing the, I show up. So, yep. Yeah. You, do for, you do for me too. So, <laughs> well, John, I could not thank you more for being on the show today. You provide a new perspective. We haven't talked about sales enablement yet. And it's something that a lot of my clients, we end up getting to that, that answer after a lot of heartache and heartbreak and a lot of spaghetti yeah. thrown at the wall to figure out where to go. So I appreciate you so much for hopping on today and for our great conversation. And I know it's not going to be the last. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM, or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.